your quest isn't really for you. Your quest is for your people. Your quest is so that you go to the spirit world and reclaim your gifts, but then you have to bring something from the spirit world back into the mundane everyday life to improve the experience of the collective. Welcome to the Intuitive Woman Podcast with your host, Tina Conroy. Gain clarity, confidence, and trust in your inner wisdom. Explore spiritual topics, including intuition, healing, wellness, yoga, vibrant living, and more. Hello, friends. Tina here. Always so glad to bring you another episode. Thank you so much for all your feedback and boxing me. I love chatting with you on Voxer and giving me some feedback to the last couple of episodes. Thank you so much. And I am so glad to hear that you love the meditations. So I will be bringing more of them to you and more solo shows. If you haven't found me on Voxer, look in the show notes and Vox me and just find me, Vox me. It is a walkie talkie app. I'm loving it and give me some feedback. I would absolutely love it. If you're not a member of the Intuitive Woman Facebook group, please come and join us. I will gladly invite you in. We are over 500 members, men and women, spiritually minded, aware, and have a lot of fun. So go find me on Facebook, the Intuitive Woman Facebook group. So today's guest is Carmen Spagnola, and I met Carmen through the airwaves as I've been meeting a lot of many different people, and she's very interesting, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about her and tell you about what she does and a quest, what a quest is. Carmen Spagnola is a professional intuitive who helps spiritual seekers connect to their soul using intuitive readings, somatic hypnotherapy, and wilderness retreats. She is an international speaker trainer, and founder of the Numinous School of Intuition. Carmen also offers online courses on the topics of the tarot, as well as healing the money wound. Part researcher, part practitioner, Carmen takes a multidisciplinary approach to spiritual development. Her style draws on depth, psychology, attachment theory, the work of Joseph Campbell, Quakerism, intersectional feminism, and brain science. Her wilderness quests are a modern-day rite of passage for people seeking initiation into the mysteries of birth, death, and regeneration. I have to tell you that this conversation was quite unique for me. And just putting myself in that visualization of a quest, I'm not a camper. We talk about me being more of a glamper and just being out there in nature and connecting and going on a quest. So stay tuned. I think this is really interesting to connect to nature for all of us to really understand what a quest is. And of course, her information is in the notes. I hope you sit back and enjoy. Hey, Carmen, how are you today? I'm great and really excited to be here. How are you, Tina? I'm doing great, and I'm very excited to speak with you. You are so gifted, and you have so many different things to talk about, and I'm so excited to talk about your connection to nature and all the wonderful things that you do. Thank you. Yeah, it's not often we get to talk about our relationship to nature in this kind of medium. It's pretty cool. Thank you for having me. Yes, I completely agree. I think that 
we forget a lot about it. So I'm very intrigued and I believe the listeners will be as well. Before we jump in there, I always love to bring everybody back to a snapshot to where you were when you were little. So your upbringing, spiritual, religious, how you were brought up. I was basically raised by the forest, I would say, because there was no religious or spiritual upbringing in my house. My parents were very secular and also, um, you know, really poor working class struggling to make a go of it, you know, financially, but also their relationship wasn't great. So we lived pretty rurally and I would leave the house and I would just go outside into the forest. And I grew up in the early eighties. And so everything was about star Wars and I wanted to be Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia. And so I created these like vast networks of trails and things in the forest and would pretend that I was like a hero on adventure all the time. And so I think that was where my relationship with nature became. I didn't, of course, think of it as a spiritual experience, but if I look back on it, that was my refuge. That was my stillness. That was my sanctuary. That's where I came to feel known and accepted and unconditionally welcomed just for who I was. So I would say that, yeah, I mean, like so many people, I didn't really receive a spiritual grounding in my home and just the way things were, I didn't have a strong community that could provide that for me, but I did have cedars and spruce and Sitka and ferns and raccoons and, and all the creatures that I found so comforting. So it sounds like you made your own peace, you made your own world or like magical world, and you created something that connected with you so deeply and you've taken that into adulthood and into the work that you do. Absolutely. And I think this is a very common experience for people. I notice this when people come out of Quest a lot, that it's almost like your life has been written and it was shown to you very early. It's just, it takes so long for us to get perspective and get enough life experience to see that we've always had the answers within us. The map was always there for us. And so when I look back at how much time I spent in nature and embodying and acting, creating these imaginal worlds based on great myths like Star Wars, <laughs> things like that. It's like, that is the hero's journey. There's a reason why George Lucas and Joseph Campbell did that great. I don't know if you ever remember seeing The Power of Myth with Bill Moyers, but I saw it when I was 10 years old. And uh, it was all about the, the hero's journey and how each of us has within us a kind of story that we're bringing forward, something that tells us the next step we need to undertake to learn who we are, what our gifts are, what our role is, and how to be part of something bigger than just your your own journey, but connected up with the collective. So yeah, when I look back, I think there was really the blueprint was right there for what I'd be doing with, with my work and my life. I love that. I never really thought about it that way. So you have me very intrigued. So when you mm -hmm. talk about the quest and the journey and obviously love the hero's journey and all of that feeling, that storytelling that we have that within us, do you feel that the quest that we take is already 
I guess what I'm saying has, is it already like a blueprint and then we finally connect to it? Like it's always been there or is it something that we're creating as we go? Like, do you know what I'm saying? I do. I do. You know, there's, there's kind of an element of uh, the tension between destiny and free will. Right. And I think they actually both have a place and work well together. I remember there was a book by Douglas Copeland in the nineties called generation X. And there was a great quote in it where it said, we're each born with a letter inside us. And our task is to one day be able to read it. And so I do get, I do believe that, that each of us has a kind of map or blueprint within ourselves. And the purpose of the quest is a ritual. It's a ritual that will help us acknowledge and shift this unnatural loneliness and isolation that comes from living in a really hyper individual society that makes us forget who we are and what our roles are and makes it hard to find our inner compass. So the quest is kind of like a miniature version of your life and how you do quest will it scales up. I mean, it's how you do life. And so that's why it's a beautiful ritual for being able to say, are all of the activities that make up my life right now really life affirming or are they life limiting? And during the quest, there's ritual and ceremony that you could do to shift patterns and help you get back to the core of who you really are. Well, I've never gone on a quest and I'm absolutely this whole idea of this, just, it's like, oh my gosh, I have to go. And the, <laughs> the thought of it reminds me of, and I know this is going to feel completely off base a little bit, but it reminds me of being on like a, maybe this would be a tiny, tiny feeling of being on retreat. Like if when oh, I, yeah. like a little bit of that, because I've experienced leaving my family, leaving my children and going on, you know, for me, it would been a yoga retreat or a spiritual retreat. And you step out of your life, you step away from all your responsibilities, you turn off your cell phones, all of that. And then you would go to like your true self. For me, I've connected so many times on a retreat, which I'm sure this is just a tiny bite of what these people, what everyone experiences in quest, but then I have to integrate back. And so I always think as you're talking, going, oh my gosh, I really have to do this quest because that feeling of connecting that, oh my God, this is me. This is, this is this essence. This is the whole part that I've kind of forgotten about, but it's always been there. So mm -hmm. I'm so excited. So allow the listeners to understand a little bit what you talk about as quest and, and who, you know, what type of person would do this and, you know, let, let's, let's dig in. Okay. So, yeah. And I want to pick up on something that you said there about incorporating it when you come back. Cause that's really important. But first, yeah, let me just clarify the terms here for people who aren't quite sure what quest is. So the way that I lead my quests is a bit different. You know, it, we, if you Google it, you're going to find quests that are as short as people call them quests, but they're as short as three or five days. And some that are as long as 40 days. The way that I run quest is it's 12 days. The first four days is circling and you're being taught the framework of doing ritual and ceremony that's appropriate for your life stage. And the map or the model that I use is the wheel of the season. So I'm not using the medicine wheel from any particular indigenous perspective, because that's one of the things we want to do is make sure we're being really culturally appropriate and sensitive to what we do. So I'm not going to take from traditions that aren't my own. However, 
everyone has an indigenous archetype within them. Somewhere in our ancestry, we all came from somewhere and our ancestors followed the wheels of the seasons to know what was the next step for them. So for the first four days, we're learning about summer and what are the lessons of summer. And the lessons of summer are about trust and innocence. And so if you have trauma around trust and innocence. There are rituals that you would do on Quest to help you acknowledge that, shift that, and potentially heal it. For fall, the lessons of fall are about severance and individuation. And so we spend a lot of time talking about what are some of the impediments or challenges that we have as we're going through those times of our life, and how can we undertake some kind of intervention in the spiritual dimension for that. In winter, it's all about survival and threshold crossings and responsibility. And then in spring, we're talking about form and formlessness. We're really talking about the two pillars of our spiritual life, which is birth and death, and what's our relationship with them. So in those first four days, you're being very thoroughly prepared (laughs) to know, okay, what is working in my life? What is not working? And how can I get into relationship with the spirit world, with the natural world, uh, so that I can shift those things? You know, I'm teaching you about shamanic journeying and trance work and yeah, all of those things. Then you would go out for four days where there are three rituals that everybody undertakes. And so one of them is the solitude. You would go out into the wilderness. Of course, you're well-prepared. I'm also teaching you how to be safe in the wilderness and four days of fasting and solitude and doing your ceremony and ritual. And then after your four days of fasting and solitude in the wilderness, you would come in and you'd have another four days of incorporation where you're sharing your journey and you're mirroring to other people what their journey has been. And you're doing ceremony to acknowledge the great return that you've done. So here's what's really important about questing though. Traditionally, Quests would have been done within an intact culture, meaning there was intergenerational sharing all the time. You would have seen other people going away on quest and returning. Um, You would have had elders around you who knew you from the time you were born, who recognized your gifts, who would witness you through all of your rites of passage and life stages and development and remind you after you came back from quest what the lessons were that you learned about who you really are. Unfortunately, that's not the world that we live in. In fact, most of the world is trying to make us forget and sort of anesthetize us. So one of the things that I've built into my quest is that every three months, we actually have a a call and we do circle again, where we witness each other and we mirror each other. Because you're going to come back from quest carrying this great story that you remember now about who you are and what your gifts are. But you're going to come back home and it's like after the ecstasy, the laundry, right? You're going to forget <laughs> what you were meant to be doing, what your sacred task is in this lifetime. And so you need to have a spiritual community of care that will hold your story for you when you can't because you're overwhelmed, you know, who will reflect it back to you and remind you of your gifts and all of the inner resources you have. So we keep in touch for a year. And the reason why that's important is because your quest isn't really for you. Your quest is for your people. Your quest is so that you go to the spirit world 
and reclaim your gifts, but then you have to bring something from the spirit world back into the mundane everyday life to improve the experience of the collective. So the ritual of the quest is it's healing for the collective. And whether you consider the collective just your marriage or your family unit or your community or your country or the nation or the planet, the idea of the quest is that you are going to go and remember what your sacred work is and then do your part do your share for the sake of the whole. You're remembering your ecological self, the self that's woven into all things, that's in relationship with something greater than yourself. And Maladoma Somme is a ritualist and a shaman from Burkina Faso in West Africa. And he talks about how when ritual is absent in a society, the young people are restless and violent and the elders are like, there aren't any, and the adults are bewildered and confused. And if you look around the world right now, I think that's pretty accurate. So undertaking the quest is a major rite of passage and it's a major ritual that you're doing, not just for your own edification or your own escapism or anything like that. It's not for that. It's for your people. It's for the world. It's so that you can do your share of the spiritual work that we all need. Oh, I understand. That makes a lot of sense. So even though people may have that concept in the beginning that going on a quest for themselves and it's all very individual, it's really truly to be, to serve. Like, how do you serve? How do you show up? Like, how do you show up in the world? That's the collective. So like you said, how do you show up after quest or working through that process with your family, with your community, with your town, with your state, your nation, your all of that. Totally, totally. They say that ritual is energy medicine for the collective. So that's what you're doing. It's going to it's gonna work on you and through you, for sure. Now, let me ask you a question, a little bit more details. Is there a particular place you send people to Quest, or is it yes. happening all? Okay, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. I actually, so I'm a licensed wilderness guide, and I do Quests. I run them with my partner as my support guy. So he and I spent, oh gosh, I'm in Canada, so it's like, thousands of kilometers, thousands of miles and many days looking for a place in nature that would be both wild and safe for somebody who's never camped before. So the place that we quest is actually in South Central British Columbia. So kind of Pacific Northwest area. It's, you know, days travel from Seattle, let's say, and it's mountainous terrain, but it has very distinct landmarks. So there's a creek that takes you all the way back to base camp, etc. It is remote and rugged. So we have a lodge where we do all of our teachings and then we actually ride pack horses with all of our gear to base camp. And there's sort of one trail in and one trail out. So it's very easy to make sure that people aren't going to be disturbed by other hikers. There aren't trails, but there's very distinct landmarks. So you'd have to be pretty special to get lost there. Actually, <laughs> you might get turned around, but you'll never get lost. And so my husband and I at base camp hold vigil for the four days that every Everybody else is up doing their quest. And I will say, I mean, the last quest, there was a guy who came from Sweden and in Sweden, they all have to do military service. So he was a super outdoorsy guy and he was like, okay, so it's challenging to be alone in the dark. And so for some people, that's the issue. You can be a super tough guy, but if you've never slept under the stars, you're not in a tent, you've got 
tarp and sleeping bag and water. But the idea is that you are exposed to the natural world. You're not isolating yourself. You're learning how to make yourself safe in the natural world. And that's really, I mean, in many ways, I feel like that's a precursor to healing. If you can't make yourself safe in a material way in the natural world, then you're heavily guarded and you need to do some work to get into relationship and let nature be your teacher. And of course he had beautiful, like enlightenment experiences with things as simple as like flies. And then there was another woman who'd grown up in Singapore and was a total urban person. She'd never camped before. And so she had big challenge because we had to teach her, okay, this is how you make fire. This is how you orient yourself. And you can only imagine that a person who has never spent a night outdoors by themselves has a tremendous amount of fear. And of course, I'm giving you skills for dealing with that. But people emerging from the forest and coming back to base camp on the morning of they spent 100 hours alone, day five in the morning, you've never seen people as radiant and triumphant (laughs) as these people. So the place that we've chosen has no deadly mega predators. There's bears, but not grizzlies. There's bugs, but not a lot of mosquitoes or black flies. So we've had to choose a place that was very specifically created or chosen to feel like you were challenged, but also held. And when people arrive, we have a territorial greeting by a local First Nations elder. And his people have been nomadic for millennia, like 15,000 years in this area. And so it's very grounding and comforting and reassuring to be welcomed by somebody who is so well integrated and intimate with the land. And I think it really helps people kind of drop their guard. But yeah, we've set it up so that yes, you're remote and yes, you can be in a mountaintop or you know, a valley or by a creek, but you'll also always be able to find your way home. And there's safety measures and things all set up that everybody gets trained on. So you don't have to be a backpacker to be able to do it. Well, you know, true confession, Carmen, I, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking this is probably why I'm so amazingly interested because the closest I've gotten to camping is when I was younger, we used to take bed sheets and just kind of string them along our, we had a very big backyard, but I mean, basically it was our backyard. I mean, really? Right. So I'm feeling like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm sharing this to someone who's like out in the wilderness and, <laughs> and I would sleep. We would literally take the two sheets with the fence and sleep with the flashlight. I think that was the closest. Right. And then I'm right outside of Manhattan. I could touch the house next to me. Basically I love the woods. I've always been one of these people that like absolutely love the woods. So the closest of spending a lot of time in the woods, my grandparents lived in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. So we would Mm. go there for two, you know, two weeks out of the summer. And so we would walk around. There was just the lake and streams and creeks and all that. But I'm like listening, going, how would I be? Like, I'm sure I would be prepared and you would prepare me, but it's actually very thrilling to me. So there's a part of me that goes, oh my gosh, like, would I make 24 hours? And it's not that I wouldn't be alone with myself. It's just, I don't know how to make a fire. I don't know, like sleeping in the dark. I'm afraid of the dark. So, (laughs) you Uh know, so it would be all these things that I could face my fears and move through this. So for me, that would even just be the biggest, just getting through the hurdles of 
the dark, getting through the hurdles of taking care of myself in the wilderness. I've never had to. It's been like the close, I think one year when I was 14, we went camping. Well, let me tell you what camping was. It was an RV on the (laughs) beach in South Carolina and you opened up and you were like, oh, we're on the beach, you know, and there was (laughs) literally, I'm not kidding. So you're talking to someone who's basic New Yorker, downstate, not even upstate, right? Because a lot of people upstate are much more. And so as you're talking, I'm going, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. And you know what? I can't even explain to people. There's just no convincing people that like your fears will be overcome. But I will say that at the last quest that I led, I did an interview with them afterwards and created a podcast. So on my website, carmenspaniola.com, when you go to quest, you can see that there's a link or even go to podcast. That's the 10 top 10 frequently asked questions about quest and the people who just returned answer them. And so they share about how they were terrified of the dark or animals or didn't think they could last. A lot of people think they're not going to be able to fast for four days. And so it's just, it's way more convincing to hear it from people who just did it. But here's what I will say. I grew up in the woods, but when I was eight, everything changed and we moved and became much more urban. And I spent most of my life working. I ended up going to private school. So I had opportunities and stuff, but like, I just got into life. I just started working. I have not been an outdoorsy camping person, but something shifted in me after I went on a quest when I was 30. And my whole relationship with spirit. I mean, we talked earlier about the idea that there's kind of a map within you and it's not that it's predestined, but that the signposts are there and it all showed up in my quest. And really it took like 10 years for me to be able to interpret all of the signs and all of the guidance. And even to this day, something will happen where I have some deep, spiritual, profound understanding and realize, oh my God, that came up in my quest. And so when I turned 40, 10 years after my first quest, I was like, I want to do this. I'm going to lead wilderness quest. And that's how old I was when I became a licensed wilderness guide. And I was basically trained to lead pack horse quests. And so I was like shoeing horses and doing all this stuff that, you know, and I was there with like 18 year olds. So I totally get that there's innate fear that we should have because nature can be dangerous. Not everything out there is benevolent, but there's such empowerment and grounding and centering and focus that can come when you know how to make yourself safe. And that really, whether you're dealing with trauma or whether you're dealing with spiritual growth, the ability to create a container for yourself and be able to have both containment and release both containment and expression at the same time, that's spiritual maturity. That's a kind of mastery that we're all seeking. So this is sort of like a deep dive immersion into the very basics of becoming fully human. So I I do understand that. And I also understand that not everybody can go on a 12-day quest. Not everybody can do that. So yeah, there are a lot of other ways that you can reconnect with those natural rhythms and those lessons that I talked about earlier without needing to spend all the money or the time. So what are some of the people that would do this? Give me an idea. I know you brought up two different people. They were very vast and different, but who do you see that's seeking this? Like who would you see the majority of people that are seeking this? 
Well, it's interesting because, yeah, I've quested with 22-year-olds and 70-year-olds, men and women, all different nationalities, all different economic backgrounds. So like you say, there's something that it's like a core competency of being human is being able to face your fears and connect with and learn how to be part of the ecosystem, right? However, the one thing that I would say that distinguishes them is they're the kind of people who love challenging themselves. They pay attention to patterns in their life. So they like to draw connections between the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual dimension. So they're kind of like people who look up at the night sky and don't just look at the stars. They look for constellations, right? They're always trying to locate themselves in their life. And so a quester is usually somebody who's like a little bit out of step with the mainstream because they've always had or have come to have a highly developed spiritual yearning and they're inventive, right? They want to figure things out. So I would say like, if you're talking demographics, like a lot of them, they'd call themselves seekers, but also there's kind of this other strain of people who might just be more iconoclastic or they're entrepreneurs, right? Like they're people who kind of like to write their own story, you know, and they like to find their own way. And possibly they've been leading other people to do that too, but they've kind of hit an upper limit where they're like in a role of leadership or responsibility. And it doesn't have to be like they're a CEO, although that often happens, but it could also be like, you're the caregiver for everyone in your world. And then suddenly the kids all go off to college. (laughs) You're just like, okay, it's time for me now. And they want to know what is my next step, but they don't want it to be spoon fed to them. Mm. So there's kind of this combination of they like to understand the framework, that idea of like, what's the constellation? How do I locate myself? But then they like freedom within that. They want to be able to explore. They're really curious and they, they don't like paint by numbers. They don't like the rule book, right? So they kind of are people who are comfortable with that inner tension, right? Of like loving challenge, um, but also loving mastery, And so I would say it's more of a psychographic that is common. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of the commonality would be obviously adventurous to some degree, a risk taker, but also this, again, this really deep knowingness or seeking or spiritual or some some type of that connect to their spirit. That's that longingness, that centered feeling to have that spiritual connection and then wanting it to deepen or wanting to connect. So there's a lot of that. I was just saying, I could see how it could be entrepreneurial and leadership. And at the same time, it could be like a yogi, you know? Like it could be many different or it could be both. You're an entrepreneur yogi, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing is they all feel like something's missing. Mm -hmm. Like they just know that there's either a deeper level or a more potent sense of flow or connection. And it's like an itch they can't quite scratch. Right. And so there's this kind of vague sense of unease, like, okay, I'm really successful or, okay, I'm doing what I thought I was supposed to do. Why is there still this little place in me that feels a little untouched or a little empty or kind of wistful? And often I sort of describe that as a longing to return to a spiritual home. And we can't find it out in the world. One of my teachers would say, we can't meet our maker if we stay in the world that we have made. 
the world of getting and spending in things. We have to go back to something very primal, very archetypal that's more natural within us. So I would say that's another thing that's sort of a symptom of if you're thinking that maybe a quest is right for me. It's often what's underpinning it is that it's like you've tried a lot of things and there's still something that feels not quite touched yet, that you haven't quite grasped yet. And it's either within or without, but you're not finding it in achievement. So Carmen, this is all just so interesting to me. And I just, again, I know there's a reason we connected because I'm absolutely intrigued. I'm sure the listeners would love to get some more information. Can you share with them how to connect with you, websites, social media, things like that, and and maybe what's coming up next, or if you have quests on a particular calendar and how that works? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I am a person who also holds the tension. I, I try to stay off of social media a fair bit, but I love Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find me just by my name, Carmen Spaniola. And also you can follow me on Facebook. I don't have a business page. I just have my personal page because a long time ago, I decided to just integrate those parts of my life because I am my work. So you can follow me on Facebook if you find me there. And my website is my name, CarmenSpaniola.com. And I have very descriptive long page about quests specifically there. And I do work with people one-on-one. I actually spend most of my time when I'm not on quest mentoring people who are either helpers or healers. They could be professional or not, but I mentor people who want to be a spiritual helper or guide. And I do intuitive work, etc. But my big focus is helping to create more spiritual helpers out in the world. And I think if a person was interested in Quest, the best thing to do is to get on my newsletter, which you can do on my website again. And the next Quest isn't until 2018. At this point, I'm just doing one Quest a year, and uh, it's eight people max. Two months beforehand, we meet online. We do a whole call on physical logistics, like what do you need? And I help people find equipment and I loan things to them, et cetera. So it's like, what do you need to be physically safe out there? And then a month before we talk about spiritual logistics, there's a lot of preparation on the spiritual level that needs to go into coming on Quest. And then comes a year-long program afterwards of uh, regular check-ins every season. So if a person was interested, and especially if they need a payment plan, I'm just, I'm very aware that this is a a luxury in the world that we live in. And it's a privilege that not very many can afford. So payment plans are wildly available, but a person would have to get on my newsletter first and that's how they would get my email address and we could be in contact that way. Well, thank you. I'm going to put everything in the show notes. So listeners, if you're listening, I'll put everything there. This way you can connect with Carmen very easily. And this has just been so exciting and so interesting for me. And I know so many people are intrigued and are going to want to know more about quests and just know more about you. So, and thank you for sharing your gifts and your love and the love of nature and the relationship with the natural world. So Thank you for sharing. And as you connect with more and more people as they seek and they they share, it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful collective. So thank you for sharing your gifts. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to speak about it. And I really appreciate people taking the time to listen. Thanks, Tina. You're welcome. Thanks so much. 